Welcome to the Geeky Grandma with an Encouraging Nudge podcast. Hi, my name is Jill McCarthy from Central New York State, and this is our third podcast, and I'm so glad you're here. Hi there. This morning, I have a gentleman named Richard Hayduck, who is an author, and I'm going to read a little bit from the bios in the front of his new book coming out November 17th. Let me give you a minute to introduce you to this gentleman. Richard Hayduck is a former life sciences executive and mentor and now has an active retirement. He is amplifying boomer retirement stories. He's immersed in the challenges of boundaries of his own retirement while observing the experiences and areas of curiosity of his fellow retirees. At age seven, He was sure he wanted to be an author. Now, 66 years later, that dream has become a reality. The inspiration for the book came from hearing about the meaningful journeys in retirements taken by friends and colleagues. The idea that these stories could become a book became the driving force for Richard. His 75-plus interviews and social media interactions developed his perspectives on retirement activities of the boomer generation. Richard's prior roles as both a leader and a mentor have been based on his ability to listen and to get people to share their feelings. He uses a style of interviewing with short, open questions to get people to open up about their retirement stories. The results of Shifting Gears. The book is called Shifting Gears. 50 Baby Boomers Share Their Meaningful Journeys in Retirement. He graduated from Miami University and got his MBA from Xavier University. He is happily married to his wife of 52 years. He has two daughters and four grandsons. His own retirement has been hyperactive. He learns new things through weekly interactions at Stanford, formerly via attending lectures, and now via Zoom during the pandemic. Each year, he reads about 100 books and bikes more than 3,000 miles. He mentors two organizations serving refugees and small farmers in Guyana. He combines family time with domestic and international travel. Well, Richard, I guess you don't let much grass grow under those feet, do you? (laughs) I never imagined that retirement would be both this much fun and this active. It's been great. That's great to hear. Uh, I I love that your dream has become a reality. That's one thing that that I work a lot with in my group. I'm glad to see that that really does come to fruition. And I also like this dream seed started when you were seven years old. Could you tell us a little about that? You know, Jill, when I was seven, I was convinced I was going to be an author. That was going to be my life's work. And I got started, and I was having a great time. Every day I would write a story. Uh, no story was longer than one page, so you can see a little bit about what that might look like. And they were all kind of weird sci-fi fantasy made up, you know, all over the, all over the map kind of stuff. And I did that for about a year, and I was convinced. And all my buddies would say, well, I'm going to be a fireman when I grow up, or I'm going to be a test pilot, or I'm going to be this. 
I said, no, I'm going to be an author. I'm going to be an author. And then, you know what happened. Seven years old, you turn eight, and you say, I'm going to do something else. I'm done with this. And so I started playing baseball with the guys, and I started, you know, doing other things that were fun. And the writing just disappeared. It fell off the map. It wasn't a gradual thing. It was one day it was on, and one day it was off. And then I went on about growing up, getting an education, having a career, having a family, doing all those things, and never came back to it at all. I had no, no aspirations and no activity around writing. And then the next turning point, I retired. I spent time with my buddies, and they started telling me these stories. And one guy who I've known for a really long time, he said, you know, I've never told you this, but I was in the Senior Olympics. I said, what? You were in the Senior Olympics? How come you never told me? And he said, well, I was kind of humble about it. I didn't want to be bragging. He says, but by the way, I did win a medal. And he says, and then I went on to the Chinese Olympics, and I won another medal. And I thought, that's an amazing story. So then, that was kind of revealing to me. And then over the next three or four weeks, it happened like two more times. Somebody who I'd known for a long time told me something amazing about what they were doing. And I got to this point of saying, these stories need to be told. These are great stories about people reinventing themselves in their retirement and doing, doing really interesting things, or in some cases, very ordinary things, but which were, they were passionate about, that it was really important to them. So that was when I decided to live the dream of the seven-year-old and go on to write a book. Well, that's a neat story. You may not know this, but I'm a retired elementary teacher, and I worked with seven- and eight-year-olds for 20 years. And, <laughs> and, and there is something still magic at that seven-year-old mark where, where you, everything is possible. And, and yes, at eight yes. years old, you're becoming into the next, you know, a little more independent, a little more into the world. So I'm glad your seven-year-old finally spoke up. Well, the, the other thing that uh, resonate with you as well, I got so much encouragement while I was doing it from teachers, from parents, from, you know, friends of my parents, uh, from even, even in some cases from other kids. So it wasn't lack of encouragement. There was a lot of guidance that I got along the way. But I just, I guess I should say I shifted gears uh, <laughs> to, to do something else as an eight-year-old. Yeah. And a lot of times what happens is that seven-year-old was the real you way down inside. And then we become into the norms of our peers and our parents and all of that takes over. So as I work with, with women, sometimes I need them to retap into that seven-year-old. So your story is unique to you, but it, it also could fit for many others. Very good. Your book has both stories about men and women in it, but because I do a, a women's group, you've decided to help me tell some stories about the women from your book. Could you tell me a woman in your book who was focused on leaving a legacy? Yeah, I interviewed some just amazing women in the book, people who had rethought what they wanted to do and how they wanted to redirect themselves. This one lady in particular was involved with a preschool program. And amazingly, four generations of her family had been involved in this preschool. Wow. Um, when she was a young mom, she sent her daughter to this preschool, and then her daughter's daughter, daughter's daughter. So they went through four generations. And this lady continued to volunteer at this very unique preschool. 
So one of the elements of it is appreciation of the outdoors. And so they take the kids to a shallow creek and they take a bunch of preschoolers and let them play in the shallow oh, creek. Wow. Discover nature by getting muddy. And that was, that's one of their fundamental beliefs. They've got to get the kids outdoors and engaged. The same thing with cooking. They have gardens and they grow things and they cook together as preschoolers. And they have a unique parent involvement in the school that the, the parents have to come and observe. They have to do a write-up about their kid. And they have to save that as part of the memories of their child. So this is an amazing preschool. I had not heard of it before. But as the more I learned about it and the more she told me about it, the, the more I thought, what a great experience for very young kids and for her to have four generations of her family involved with it. Wow. She had been associated with the school as a teacher for many, many years, uh, both as a parent, as a grandparent, and more recently as a retiree. And at a certain point, she said, you know, I got to let the other teachers have a bigger role in what's well, a fairly small school. She said, they kept coming to me and asking for advice. I said, no, you have to figure this out yourself. So she pulled back from being a, a very active teacher. And then she said, I want this to survive. I want this to be my legacy. I want this school to go on for four more generations. And so she organized a group of people. They got kind of an advisory group to say, what does it take to make this school last for another several generations? Of course, you know, it was, they were having a hard time getting locations where a park would let them play in the creek. Some parks that was okay, some parks it wasn't. Right. They had a need to recruit new teachers. They had a need to have a building where they could do this, a need to have the economics of it worked out. So her legacy objective was to say, let's get us all talking about this. Let's get it figured out. Let's have essentially what I would call as a businessman, a strategic plan. She said, right. it, she called it legacy. Really all, what are the elements of success of this school? So as she shifted into her retirement and as she shifted away from being a teacher, she shifted into building this legacy. At this point, who knows whether it will succeed, but it sure has all of the elements and all of the passion and all of the involvement of a team that she's been instrumental in forming. So I, it's just a gratifying story. I love to hear it. The thing that I had to communicate in the book was that look in her eye and the smile and the twinkle in her eye. You know, it's just, this one meant so much to her. And it should, it's important. It's really, I think, an amazing, amazing legacy that she's attempting to leave. And it would have been so easy to just say, well, I was a teacher, I did my part, I'm just going to walk away from this. Yeah, but she didn't do she that. Didn't. That twinkle in the eye and the smile you're talking, when you're in your passion, if in your purpose, and it doesn't even feel like work, you could do it for hours, and it doesn't, it seems like a minute. So in the book, I, I use their words. I don't paraphrase them. I don't change anything. Sometimes I'll correct some grammar or some slang or something like that, but it's their words and their passion and their commitment and purpose and all that. For the most part, it comes through pretty well on the printed page. It would be great if everybody could have been sitting next to me during the interview, but I tried to make it as close to that that they were sitting there listening to her. That's a great story. 
It is time we take a little break and hear a word from our sponsor. Today's podcast is being sponsored by the Facebook group called Facilitating Transformations for Women. We empower nearly retired women to go for their heart's desires. You can find a link to this loving group in our bio. And now, let's return to our show. There's another lady that I think it was having time of trouble adjusting to retirement, a little confusing time. Maybe it was a transitioning time. Was it uh, SUNY? Uh, yes, Sunny. Sunny, um, although it's spelled Sunny, but uh, yeah. Sunny had. This is a slice of life story. This is she was in the middle of this. She it hadn't played out, but she was right in the middle of it. She had been a teacher at a university, and they had a layoff. They offered her a package way before she was thinking she was going to retire. And she thought about it and said, "Okay, I'll accept that package." I'm sure I'll be able to work something out, be able to figure something out of what to do next. And when I interviewed her, she was in the middle of figuring that out. She'd been at it for a few months and was going down several different paths. And it was really confusing because she wanted to explore all the options, wanted a lot of things to move forward in parallel, and then picked the one that she liked best. So she went down the job-seeking route. She interviewed for a lot of different jobs. She's very qualified. She's got a PhD and and has a tremendous amount of experience. She went through one job interview process where she went through five interviews. She was sure she she was going to get the job. And then they called and said, we've decided to go with someone else. Mm -hmm. And she was heartbroken. And her reaction was, it must be an age thing that I had all the qualifications. I, was, I hit every one of the criteria. So she was very disappointed by that. At the same time, she ran into somebody that was doing a startup, and they joined forces to say, let's do this startup together. And it was kind of a software startup dealing with postpartum depression using an app to do that. And that was going forward. She has a lot of kind of clinical background. So the, the postpartum depression sort of thing was very relevant to her, but she's not a software person writing an app. She needed help from other people. And she was doing this pretty much on her own. She was in the middle of trying to figure that out and to see whether that could become a real business. Like all startups, not unique to the one she was doing, stuff gets in your way. There's things that that you need other skills in the organization. There's things where you need some money. There's things where you need different attributes. Every startup CEO goes through that, and she was going through that. At the same time, she had had an involvement with an organization that she started called Dragonflies. And Dragonflies is a social enterprise, and what they do is they take young college students and herself they go off to various parts of Asia, uh, especially, but Vietnam, uh, Indonesia, various places. And they'll go into a village and do an assessment of various parasite risk. And what are the practices in the village that are causing people to have parasites? What are the things they can do to correct that? And essentially changing the behavior of the people in the villages. Right. Um, and, and it's really important stuff very measurable results. 
but a giant, giant time sink for her and a very high need for international travel. You can't help a village in Asia while you're sitting in the U.S. You can't do that on Zoom. That, that's true. So Sunny is now, at the moment of the interview, saying, well, I'm still looking for a job, I'm still doing a startup, and I'm still doing dragonflies as a social enterprise. And she's saying, each one of those things has a set of obstacles. And I haven't made it through those three things to figure out which one I'm going to do. Or maybe I do all three. Maybe I can, maybe I can do all three, or I'll do one or two. So she said, this is the most confusing time of my life because it hasn't played out yet. Then at the end of the interview, she said, you know, this is a piece of cake. I'll figure this out. She said, when I was younger, I had just had three kids in quick succession. I had just had a divorce from my husband. I was going back to get my PhD. And one of the advisors said, Sonny, you're not smart enough to get a PhD. And she said, I'll show you. <laughs> so with three young kids at home, a recent divorce, and an advisor that says she's not smart enough to get a PhD. And she said, now that's a challenge. She says, this stuff I'm going through now, this is a piece of cake compared to that. And the whole story was, it was a slice of life in the middle of the confusion, but such an inspiring message of, I'm going to work this out. I'm going to figure it out. And boy, is it confusing. <laughs> yeah, well, but you're bringing so many life skills to it. And, and sometimes when you have a couple of different interests, eventually they come back together in a way you could never even imagine. So that's neat. And some people have said to me, you know, you got to tell the endings of these stories. And I said, no, because the people who are reading it haven't reached their ending. A glimpse of the struggle, a glimpse of process, a glimpse of a slice of life is perhaps more useful than saying everything has an outcome, everything has a happy ending. Yeah. Um, so I took them at that moment of the interview. And in some cases, I know how the endings have turned out. Oh. I know what's happened. That isn't the book. The book isn't about the endings. It's about the process. Right. If somebody reading it, they may be still in the midst of that struggle. And it says, oh, okay, I'm not wrong. This is what, what happens in this process. Right. Yeah. And I don't think anybody's going to have exactly Sunny's situation. But I think a lot of people will have some elements of it. Right. It is time we take a little break and hear a word from our sponsor. Today's podcast is being sponsored by the Facebook group called Facilitating Transformations for Women. We empower nearly retired women to go for their heart's desires. You can find a link to this loving group in our bio. And now, let's return to our show. You gave me some notes here about Alinda, who was a woman that was living alone in the foothills of Colorado. Can you give me a little more on that story? Yes. Linda's a, a very independent spirit, a very feisty lady. She had a divorce late in life, a very friendly divorce. She and her husband have stayed in close contact, no bitterness or any of that. But she loves nature. She loves the outdoors. and. She lives in a place where she said, my nearest neighbors all have four legs. She said, there's deer, there's antelopes, there's bobcats, there's wolves, and there's quiet, peaceful time here in the foothills of Colorado. And she said, 
that suits my style. I go into town and have great relationships and great fun, and I'm associated with the library, and I do all those sorts of things. But I love this being close to nature and being able to walk outdoors and see the stars, see the silence of nature. She says, sometimes I go outside and there's something going on in nature. And the birds are chirping in a certain way. And I look around and then I see a wolf coming through. And that's what got the birds chirping. And she said, that's a joy for me. And she's, I think, 76, 75 or 76 years old, living alone a long ways from the nearest neighbor in a beautiful place in the foothills of Colorado. When I interviewed her, she said, you know, being in your mid-70s and not having a neighbor and having a lot of friends in the community, but nobody immediately proximate to where she lives, and, you know, the whole healthcare kind of question, how long can you live alone, independently, in the foothills, in a remote location? And she's kind of going through that questioning herself. She's strong and healthy and independent and resilient, but she's saying, I can't picture how much longer I can keep doing this. You know, with a health risk, you never know when it's going to happen. And so she was trying to be reasonable with herself. But I thought it was just really neat that she has been able to do this and enjoy it through to her mid-70s. And if at some point she moves into town, you know, that's fine because she had had this great experience. Right. It sounds like she knew herself well enough. It sounds like the word authenticity, that this is part of her makeup and what really kind of nurtures her soul, like, I guess you could say. Yeah. She does a fair bit of writing as well. She writes for the local library, has a newsletter and stuff that she does. And the ability to work from home to do that in a solitary setting actually is very encouraging. She gets quiet time to do that. Whereas if she were in a town, in a neighborhood and all that sort of thing, there'd be a little more hustle and bustle and distraction from from her ability to write. Right. And as I hear you talking, I hear there is a realistic side that there may come a point health-wise that she has to move back into town or do something. But she's had this time. I guess I could see that as the no regrets part. Because she's taken the time to do it, they say on your deathbed, you're more upset by your regrets than the things that you did that might have seemed like they were wrong. So, right, yeah, that's exactly. It. That's a great point. Okay. What conclusion would you say about this generation of retiree? What's unique about us? I think two things. I think baby boomers throughout their lives have really been active and innovative and creative going all the way back to the 60s and the protesting and trying to change society and all of the accomplishments of this generation. One would have thought maybe at retirement they'd just slow down and just kind of take it easy like the previous generations have, but they haven't. They haven't at all. You and I are living proof of this. We're very active doing a lot of neat stuff. I think the other part, too, is women are taking a much more assertive role in retirement. As you heard from the stories we talked about today, these are three women who are doing this their way and who are achieving the passions of retirement, doing the things they want to do, figuring it out for themselves. So I would say uh, those two things, uh, the boomer generation not being like the previous generations and the women being particularly active in having an innovative and fun retirement that meets their needs. Thank you. 
And then the part on, on the women, I think they have an, uh, almost a generational need to have the freedom that hadn't been allotted to them in earlier generations. They were so busy caretaking everybody to actually have a little longer in life and maybe get some time for themselves is really unique. I'm encouraging them to go for it. So, You know, the other thing, Jill, I just I would like to add to that. Women, in my view, retire more easily than men. And one factor that's part of that is the ability to multitask. When you have a job, you get up in the morning, you go to work, and it's, and it's, it's different a little bit each day, but your, your rhythm and your routine is there, and you get that kind of go-to-work kind of thing. Women, when they're working, have a ton of other stuff that they take care of. They're generally very active in taking care of the rest of the family and taking care of different things other than work. So when retirement comes, you've got this kind of multitasking thing where you might do volunteering on Monday, you might have a part-time job on Tuesday, you, you might do write a book on Wednesday. And that multitasking, one of the people I interviewed said, she's a woman, and she said, you know, women have it so much easier when they retire because we're used to doing a lot of different stuff. She said men, and she worked with doctors in her business life, she said doctors especially, their whole identity is, I am a doctor. And they haven't thought about what else they are or what they're going to be when they stop being a doctor. She says, for women, we've already shifted to multitasking because that's our pattern for our life. So she said, women have a lot easier time figuring this out. <laughs> Very good point. I like that. Do you have one of the traits that I use on my woman's site is the phrase, heart's desires. Do you have any heart's desires that haven't been met fully yet? I think I'll partially answer that question. I think my heart's desire is to just keep doing interesting things. I don't have kind of a wish list of here's what the next thing is going to be. This book came out of the blue. I had no idea I was going to write a book. Now I've written a book. Now I'm going to be active with associated kind of promotional activities with the book. And then what do I do after that? I don't know. I'm convinced I'll do something. I'm convinced it'll be something that gives me joy. I'm convinced that the things that I do now will be a continuing part of that, especially the mentoring of social entrepreneurs. I love doing that and will continue doing that for a long, long time. But I don't have a single heart's desire objective. Okay. So I, I kind of dodged your question. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. Well, you've already got some great things going. So even just riding with them and when all that reading and traveling going on, biking or whatever, you, you're just going to be sure you'll do something. So Right, exactly. The launch date on your book is November 17th. Is that correct? November the 17th. And we've got quite a few activities around that. The book is called Shifting Gears. 50 Baby Boomers Share Their Meaningful Journeys in Retirement, and it's available on all the major booksellers, Amazon and all the others now, as both an ebook as a hardcover book. Okay, and in our notes, we'll put a link to that. We'll also do link to your website, social media, Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn. That'll be available so that any of our listeners can check it out. And we want those baby boomers to go for those dreams and Get in touch with their inner 70-year-old. All right. Thank you, Jill. This has been great fun. Thank you, Richard. Bye-bye for now. Okay. See you in the funny papers. Bye-bye for now.